You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, October the 10th, with you a little bit later this morning, not just because I've flown back in from Kentucky, but also because we are obeying strictly the British Horse Racing Authority's embargo on the fixture list, which is lifted at half past noon today. Lydia Hislop is with me. It has finally arrived. Hurrah, the fixture list for 2024. Lydia, what will be the key talking points? What are the questions that people will be asking? I think there are more questions than answers from this document, personally. Uh, The press release says that the 2024 fixture list delivers significant change. Well, I would say that depends on your perspective. Uh, The initiatives are designed, it says, to grow the sport, engage new and existing customers and reverse negative trends. And it says that all changes will be implemented initially on a two-year trial basis, albeit that the levy board does have something to say to that. And we'll talk about its press release, I think, later on. Um, They're talking about significant customer-focused innovations in this BHA press release, the running of 170 premier race days. Um, They're talking about aims to grow British racing, including the recruitment and retention of owners. Um, They talk about it being the first phase in a long-term strategy over a five-year period from 2024 to 2028. And we will go into, as compared with the do-nothing scenario, by the way, in in which revenues would be set to decline. And it goes into some detail in some areas no detail but the headline developments on the fixture list are on the premier race days on uh, guarantees in prize money on the protected window which your listeners know all about on sunday racing and also on how to deliver more competitive racing and there was also a nod towards and again not a great deal of detail on supporting participant well-being Well, Richard Wayman, the Chief Operating Officer of the British Horse Racing Authority, has been overseeing the compilation of this fixture list. I began by asking him, what took you so long? I think, you know, they're very conscious of the headwinds that sport is facing, the declining attendances, the declining betting turnover, field size issues, more horses being sold abroad. So doing nothing really wasn't an option. As a result, we've we've made much more change than normal in the 2024 fixture list. Um, A raft of measures that, uh, you know, goes far beyond what we would normally introduce in a single year. And I think, you know, that has just taken time to uh, get through uh, and discuss with all the various parties that that we have to. So there are 1,468 fixtures in 2024. There were 1,488 in 2023. Uh, That is a a reduction of just 1.3%. Now, against the the falling foal crop and the falling population of horses, how is that going to make racing more competitive and more appealing to the fan? I think that you have to look at that fixture reduction, the 20 fewer jump fixtures, as just one intervention in a number that we're making. So, first of all, over jumps next year, there'll be 300 fewer jump races. So that will mean that we do actually reduce uh, uh, the number of races on certain jump, uh, certain times of the year and jump meetings. On the flats, although there aren't any fewer fixtures, we're moving... 200 flat races out of the summer and into the autumn period uh, generally where obviously the field sizes tend to be tend to be much larger and in addition to those volume changes there are another a number of other interventions that we are making to support competitiveness so just to 
give you a couple. I mean, one is that, uh, for example, we're going to hold back 100 races out of the programme book in, in 2024 and add them in sort of a couple of weeks outside before the race meeting so that we can actually take account of the, the very best um, information that we have at the time uh, to help us uh, you know make sure we're putting on the right races for the for the uh, for the horse population we're looking at actually removing certain races from the program um, races that fail to get at least lower class races that fail, fail to get at least uh, four runners um, we'll be taking those out of the program at the declaration stage and there are a number of other interventions that we're making uh, as well so you know there is a real focus one of our key areas of focus for next year is on making our racing across the board more competitive we think that's really important for all of our different customer groups um, and I think you just have to look at that 20 uh, fewer fixtures in the context of a, of, a, of a much larger raft of changes. I want to talk about this premierisation window, which, which everybody knows what this is now. This is decluttering the Saturday afternoons, which you have achieved through this, this fixture list. Um, what compensation have you had to give to the smaller racecourses that have had to move out of that premier window, either later or in very few cases earlier? Yeah, well, there is no compensation as such, but what uh, we've been working on with the levy board is a, a scheme that effectively will give more prize money funding to the fixtures involved in that in that uh, in those moves. Now it's important to say with those moves, and just to keep a sense of perspective, we're, we're talking here about 41 fixtures out of, as you say, nearly 1,500 fixtures being asked to move a, a couple of hours. So I think it is important that we, we that we keep that sense of perspective, with with the exception of one race course. Um, there are no other independent race courses beyond Hexham who are uh, being asked to be more than one fixture two hours. So I think, you know, in, in, in talking about this uh, decongestion of Saturday afternoons, which is all a part of the strategy to try and make the most of our fixtures, to try and generate uh, interest in the sport that will ultimately you know, extend to all areas of the fixture list, we're actually talking about 41 fixtures moving a couple of hours. You talk about significantly enhanced fan engagement and broadcast innovation. Can you, can you flesh that out a little bit, Richard? Can you tell me how that significantly enhanced fan engagement is going to be uh, executed? Well, that's a piece of, that, that piece of work is still ongoing, Nick, and I won't get into that today. But in the coming weeks, as we lead up to the beginning of, of next year and the introduction of Premier, fixtures we'll, we'll sort of announce details during that period of how the uh, those sorts of measures will be introduced uh, in in the early part of, of, of 2024 okay and broadcast innovation have has the broadcaster itv or any of the other broadcasters committed to in, to innovating further to you have they have they given you an indication of what they're going to spend innovating or is that spend going to come from from racing's own coffers Again, it's not an area that we'll, we'll get into at, at this stage. At the moment, we're very much as in the fixture list and the races uh, are, are around that, making more of those headline premier fixtures. You know, we've got 170 of them in, in 2024. And it's really important that we use these headline fixtures to try and generate interest in, in the sport. That, as I say, will ultimately grow the number of fans and followers. Um, the, the details of how we'll look to make those 
170 fixtures stand out and appear different, whether you're yeah. watching it on television, whether you are a, a betting shop punter, whether you're a race goer, that will follow in, in, in the next few weeks. What I'm trying to work out is that how that's going to look different to the to the um, casual, say casual viewer now, or the, the Saturday viewer, if you like, the festival viewer. Are ITV going to show fewer races then to, to better promote the sport? And so, so, so declutter their own programme? Because if they show fewer races, surely that means um, less levy. No, and that's certainly not the intention. You know, generally we want more we want more races on television than uh, rather than, than than fewer. I think at this stage, what we would say about these premier meetings is that there will be an increase in investment and in an increase in in the levels of prize money at those fixtures. We think that as a result of that, these fixtures will, and, and the races at them will generally be more competitive. They'll appear more attractive to our customers, and we also think there'll be the upside for racehorse owners. You know, we're very conscious of the pressure on on racehorse owners and horse numbers the the increased number of good horses going overseas and we think that by investing more money into these headline meetings that that will be another reason for for people to have horses in training great britain and and to and to actually keep them here for longer can i ask about sunday racing which has been talked about now for three decades how many sundays will you have next year uh, of premier standard well uh, we're really pleased about uh, the progress we've made one of the key areas of the policy of the, of the strategy for next year was to try and you know increase improve the quality of racing on a sunday it's something we've always felt is uh, under underutilized in, in british racing um and so uh, you know when we went into into this year's process it was on the back of quite a underwhelming sunday fixture list in many ways by creating premier fixtures and these you know these improved fixtures on a sunday we're going to end up with a premier fixture on 29 of uh, 29 sundays in in 2024 and i think that will be a significant a significant strengthening of, of the quality of racing. How, how many? How many would there have been in 2023, Richard? How many? If, if you applied the Premier principles to 2023, how many Sundays would there have been? It, it would have been. It would have been single figures, Nick. Okay, so that's a that's a that's a big upswing. And how many of that of that of that figure uh, are made up of of the what we we now know as the Sunday series, if you like? Yeah, the Sunday series are in this. So that's six of the twenty-nine. Um, that, that's uh, those are part of the. There, there are criteria for premier fixtures that include um, television coverage, that include um, the quality of the races, the class of the races, and significantly prize money. So, as well as having their own set of higher minimum values, then at every premier race day the minimum race on the flat no race can be run for less than twenty thousand over jumps no 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 race can be left run for less than fifteen thousand at a premier race day so you know there'll be some significant um, significantly more money available at those on those 29 days in, in the vast majority of cases you make um, quite a point in the in the press release of this being the first phase of a, of a multi-phase restructure of, of british racing what will the second phase entail or what's the what What's the ambition for the second phase? Well, I think I think that's in two. There's two answers to that first question. First of all, of course, this is just one part of an industry strategy. There's so much you can do with the fixture list and the schedule of races, but ultimately there are many other areas that we'll will need to address as a sport 
if we want to grow the number of customers and followers of the sport. So yeah, many, but but you know, from from what we do with race goers to what happens with um, with racehorse owners, international investors, there are a raft of different areas of the of, of, that, that form part of the strategy. I think the second point, though, is specifically the fixture list and the race program. You know, we're very conscious that we are trying a lot of different things at once in the 2024 fixture list. And we make no sort of apology for saying we are testing and learning. We're not going to get everything right the first time we do it. Some of the things that we'll introduce in 2024 will work I'm sure will work very well and we'll want to turn the dial up on those in future years. Others may not work as well and we may want to pull back from those. And in addition, now as more data and more customer feedback uh, becomes available to us, there may be other ideas that we want to try. So I just, I think that what we're trying to say here is this isn't it. There's more to come both within the fixture list and beyond that. But we're very much you know, into a world of, of being prepared to test and learn as we try and attract more customers to our sport. All right, the Premier Race Days are, are going to account for approximately 12% of the fixture list. What are you going to do and what's the sport going to do to make the remaining 88% of fixtures more appealing and more engaging for fans than they are already? Or in fact, are you quite happy for them for that remaining 88% of fixtures? So well over 1,200 fixtures to be less appealing and less engaging than they are at the moment? Uh, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, the the 88% of fixtures are hugely important to us. And just to go back to where we started all of this, this strategy is all about growing the revenues coming into our sport, growing the number of customers that come into our sport that will ultimately benefit all parts of the sport, not just the 12% of, of premier fixtures, but, you know, spreads to the, to, to the entire thing. We're using the, the Premier Fix to try and drive and generate that interest, which obviously many other sports have done, use their, their headline events to try and increase interest. But ultimately, it's, it's the, the entire sport we want to see grow. I think in terms of 2024, our real focus um, on the remainder of the fixture list is trying to make that product a, a more competitive and appealing product for um, for our customers, more competitive fields, um, and you know it comes back to the sort of thing that we were talking about earlier. Those various measures to try and make our, our racing at that, at that core, in that core feature list more appealing to our customers by making it more competitive. That's Richard Wayman, Chief Operating Officer of the BHA. Lydia Hislop is still with me. Lydia, how has the British Horse Racing Authority done today in their presentation of the fixture list? Well, uh, I su- suppose I wanted more um, detail in terms of because I-, I mentioned right at the start that there are more questions than answers. So um, if I go back to the press release, it says industry modelling projects an estimated 90 million improvement to British Racing's finances over a five year period from 2024 to 2028 as a result of the work of the industry strategy when compared with a do nothing scenario in which industry revenues would continue to decline. So it's 90 million more as compared to a projected decline. But we're not seeing any of that working. And I think for us to have more confidence in this way forward and also to believe that the BHA, who's purportedly leading this, and the commercial committee that has designed this, that they have confidence in what they're talking about. I personally would have liked to have seen more substantiation of their working. 
you know, how they are going to um, increase customer engagement, how they're going to increase attendances, how much betting um, in, uh, attendances are betting uh, turnover is going to be better. Um, you know, how attendances to uh, premier fixtures you know what is what are the target for there so I, I think we're we're at, at this stage we're missing the working and we're missing the targets and I think that the uh, levy board's press release also seems to suggest that, that that is the case because in the third paragraph it says that um, the levy board has spent substantial time in recent months working with the BHA and evaluating and assessing the package of proposals. A series of target targets and measurement criteria will be published by the BHA shortly in light of further consideration. There's lots of, of reference to this working um, and there's lots of talking about targets, but at the moment we don't see them. So if there is a, a lack of hard published data to support what's been released today... There's also a bit of a lack, I I thought, in terms of detail on some of what you'd call the softer content in the in the release relating to customer experience, television coverage, innovation. Who's responsible for all that, and how is the BHA or GBR or the broadcasters intending to deliver it? And is indeed there a plan or clear strategy to that end? And that's not something I could quite get a, a clear handle on those questions are unanswered and at the moment uh, we're being told that, that that is yet to be worked out and in some ways it, it seems like the wrong way round, whereby you make all these changes and then you work out how you're going to deliver them and what benefit they bring you would think that from customer research you would find out what changes appeal make those changes and, and then do the projections from from, the, from that direction so yeah, I think that is a, a significant question you know where are where are the the guarantees where are the innovations I mean when I TV was first made um, racing's broadcast terrestrial broadcast partner there was talk about innovation in terms of how racing was presented and I'm not sure we necessarily saw that but again we are being being promised the same kind of thing and that premier racing will somehow feel different you know via via marketing and and via the way that it'll feel when you walk through the door on a race day uh, but again there is no uh, marketing strategy that is, has been put forward that is something that is going to be worked out so there's a lot of things that seem to be going to be worked out that we don't yet know have any detail of. I guess, Lydia, in terms of the fundamental fabric of the sport, this is one of the first big tests of racing's new governance structure. How has the sport evolved, do you think, in this respect? We have to set this against a sort of wider context. If we go back to when Nick Rust uh, became the chief executive of the uh, British Horse Racing Authority and Richard Wayman would have been at front of centre of delivering this strategy, there was a redirection of funding towards, open quotes, grassroots level racing, which essentially, in, in other words, is core fixtures. So in many ways, this can just be seen as a reset to the strategy that was that, that British racing had of, of directing its funding towards its top level and maintaining its premier racing at that point. This can just be interpreted as a, as a reset after the, the, the Nick Rust BHA era. And so you wonder whether there really should be uh, target levels for each a competitive strand of racing so you know class one you know group races class one down to down to class six and uh, and, and whether that that should be laid down so that we you know because one administration can see something differently from the next administration as we have just seen played out 
Are there any further gaps in here that really struck you? Other things that we haven't heard anything about mm. about is about how we're going to um, incentivise ownership. That's mentioned, but not explained how. Uh, customer feedback will be used to weigh the success of these changes. Again, we don't know how that will be obtained. And we don't know how participant well-being will be measured as a result of the impact of these changes. Also, it's interesting to see within the body of the um, press release that the BHA and the industry were surprised, or the BHA and the Commercial Committee were surprised by how many racecourses wanted to, to um, host uh, these premier race days, which is certainly interesting in terms of uh, money suddenly being uh, available to be able to fund uh, races such as this at this level. But I suppose that raises the question of is 170 too much? You know, they were they were thinking it would be maybe like 120, 130. So if there's now 170, is actually the differential that great? Are you actually achieving what you say you're trying to achieve, which is by differentiating your best racing from your core racing, if you know 170 of those premier races uh, exist? Um, so certainly from one person's perspective, it can be that lots of things, lots of things are happening. Um, you know, from ITV viewers, how much is happening? How will a premier fixture look different? If you're wanting to go to your local non-premier fixture race course on a Saturday, well, you might have to go earlier or later. And, you know, that might not be convenient to you. So depending on your perspective, there are a lot of changes or not many changes. And we'll have to see how, <laughs> we'll have to see how all of those, how all of those um, add up. It's, it's everything and nothing. And how it all adds up will be crucial to the continued levy board support of this scheme because uh, the, in the BHA press release it said that this is a two-year trial mm. but the levy board is only giving it one year to work essentially what the levy board is saying is you need to say what, what your working is you need to say what your targets are so that in a year's time we can measure your achievements against those rather than in a year's time you coming up with some um, backfitted proof of whatever has happened uh, to prove that what you said you, you were going to do is actually happening and I reiterate your point earlier, Lydia, which is to some people, this will seem like no difference at all. And to those of us who are interested in the inner workings of the industry, yeah, there's quite a lot of interesting things here. Um, how would you how would you sum this up for the for the racing fan? I think the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. I welcome a reversion to the focus on our top tier and making sure that that is thriving and remains globally re relevant. And if these measures manage to um, shore up that position, then I will be delighted with that. I think that the BHA and the Commercial Committee need to be more transparent put forward their working and their targets now and be more confident because this would speak of publishing those things would speak of their confidence and as Richard Wayman has touched upon but I think it really should be front and centre essentially what they're saying is increased revenue of 90 million um, over five years as compared to a decline in revenue it is uh, and potentially more interest with from a TV audience and more attendances of premier race meetings is worth a few people uh, not being able to go racing when they would like at Hexham on a Saturday. And if if that is what they are saying is their strategy, they should be upfront about it and they should underpin it with their workings and their targets. <music>
Just one bit of other news this morning, Lydia, that we didn't get to yesterday because the, the pod was up about 10 minutes before this was released. Uh, Holly Doyle has received a one-month suspended suspension for um, dihydrocodine in her system. There is a, a plausible explanation which she's put forward and which the BHA have accepted, um, but due to strict liability, they have to impose some penalty and she's effectively not going to be banned unless she reoffends. So um, I, I guess she's probably walked away for all that's been a, a bruising experience, reasonably happy with the outcome. Yes, you would think so. So uh, she tested positive for a banned substance at Newcastle on the 31st of March. The disciplinary panel has accepted that this breach was unintended and a one-off error, resulting from Doyle mistranslating the ingredients of over-the-counter painkillers that she bought in Japan to treat an elbow injury she's free to continue riding but would be subject to this penalty if she were to protest uh, positive in the next year uh, they are tablets that she believed contained only ibuprofen and paracetamol uh, she was riding on a short-term license in japan uh, she continued to take the painkillers uh, when returning to action and she attempted to use an app to translate what was inside the packaging. Uh, there was a fast track hearing and the chair of the judicial panel, Sarah Crowther KC, concluded, I agree with the BHA that in light of the investigative findings, it is appropriate to reduce the penalty from the entry point for this offence uh, with of two months withdrawal of license to a one month suspended um, a suspended penalty. Um, and Holly Doyle has got ahead of this news by releasing a statement saying, um, in April, when returning to ride after my elbow injury, Dr. Jerry Hill informed me that I tested positive for traces of dihydrocodone, which is a painkiller used to treat severe pain. I required elbow surgery in February and was prescribed this, which I stopped consuming after a few days because it made me unwell. In April, I tested positive on my return and I stated that I'd only been taking ibuprofen and paracetamol throughout my recovery to control the swelling. But after some research, we found that contamination came from a packet of ibuprofen, which I purposed when riding overseas and it unknowingly contained small amounts of the positive drug. The BHA accepts that this was the likely source of the positive. It also accepts that the breach was innocent and unintended, and, but due to it being strict li liability, they've found it appropriate to impose a one-month suspended suspension. Um, she said that she's very glad that it is all over. And there are, if you want to read further details of the case, this uh, disciplinary panel judgment is... Uh, posted on the BHA's website under the judicial panel area, which obviously uh, operates independently of the BHA, but the results are published on the BHA website. You know what the moral of this story is? What's that? Brush up your Japanese. <laughs> I would, I would love to be uh, to be able to to speak many different languages, um, but Japanese sit to me seems rather rather challenging. All right, I was going to say, I just got back in TW11 this morning. Um, before I left Kentucky yesterday, though, I paid a, a visit to Lane's End, the home of, of Flightline, been home to some truly wonderful stallions down the years as well. A lot of it founded on the success of AP Indy, uh, of whom there's a, a bronze statue out in the in the paddock. It was great to see Flightline, but I, I was just as interested, really, in, in seeing all, all the horses there. And we walked the, the stallion barn with the stallion manager, uh, Peter Sheehan and and we kicked off on, on our left as we walked in to the magnificent stallion barn there was a an old timer candy ride 24 years old yeah and at 24 years of age um, about to turn 25 god he looks he, good doesn't he he looks fantastic he's still bre he bred 103 mares last year still going strong had his 19th grade one winner there um, at the weekend so 
he's just a fantastic horse that just keeps on producing Cyrus Ayers and we're just delighted to be able to stand him here. Gorgeous horse and of course he he smashed the track record in the Pacific Classic. Julie Crone rode him. In... Julie Crone rode him, yep. And um, flight line probably could have beaten his track record if he wasn't <laughs> geared down for the last for the last half furlong cantering over the line. So um, it's just fantastic to have the two of them just here in the Stallion Burn side by side. Yeah, just a just a few feet apart. Just looking to my right, there's Liam's map. Good memories of him. City of Light as well. Winner of the winner of the Pegasus. That was the that was the famous quote, wasn't it, from Michael McCarthy when I said, "Why did you come here?" He said, "I can think of nine billion good reasons." <laughs> That's a fantastic, a fantastic quote from Michael. But um, yeah, he's just been he just throws such a such a good looking horse, and I think the best is still to come from him. His crops ever since he's come, he's, they've been getting better and better each year. So um, the, the best is still to come from him. Okay, that's um, City of Light. And here he is, the big boy, flight line. He's just been a pleasure to have here. Um, he came here, we were, we were worried when he got here because we'd heard that he was a monster on the track. He, he just anticipated going out to train and would kick the walls of the stall. So we went and padded his stall here, just out of an abundance of caution. And he came here, he just put his head down and he just switched off he was like I'm home I'm going to just be easy to to be around so he hasn't put a mark on the walls and um, he's just a, a true gent to be around he's he's probably the most intelligent horse I've ever been around he goes down he does his business in the breeding shed and then comes back up and he's like a lamb to to handle at the up in the barn I just need to describe to everybody uh, what his, his stall is like frankly I'd live in there I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful barn, this. It's been home to some of the world's finest stallions. Um, gorgeous panelling, and it is fully padded all the way around with a, a straw bed that's about, it's about two and a half foot high. Uh, they, there's, there's no lack of comfort for this, this superstar. No, no. When you've got, a, when you've got horses of this calibre, you've got to take care of them. And we're just proud to have horses of his, of his elk here. He's a fantastic horse to have. Uh, that book of mares was presumably pretty insane. It, 50 grade one winners or producers. So I don't, think, I don't think it gets any better than that. So we were, you, you looked at these mares coming in and you recognised every single mare just off the top of your head. You didn't have to, to look to see who they were. You knew who they were as soon as they walked in. And we're, we're here today shooting for the Eclipse Awards. Um, yeah, he was an absolute dominant champion last year um, and he's set such a high bar for, for horses of the of the next generation and he's looking at us here having been groomed not a care in the world not a care in the world he just he is probably the easiest horse to take care of and um, when he came in you feel the pressure when you've got a, a horse of a generation to look after and you worry about what can go wrong but he came in and he's made life easy on us he's done everything right he's just been like i said a, a true gent he goes out he just when you turn him out um, in his paddock he just walks off puts his head down and grazes i can probably count on my fingers how many times i've seen him actually take off running across the paddock he's just he just takes care of himself and takes care of us thanks so much for having us here today Peter. no worries great to have you 
All right, well, as I said yesterday on the podcast, the Turnbull Stakes at Flemington on Saturday, early morning UK time, uh, late afternoon uh, Australian time, went the way of last year's Melbourne Cup winner gold trip. And you might think, well, that was probably a staying race. You'd be wrong. It was a mile and a quarter, and he did so with a great exhibition of power to beat some very, very smart horses. Amongst them, the Hong Kong star Romantic Warrior, who didn't hit the board and just looked a little rusty. Not so gold trip. Amazingly, only his third lifetime success, but his second at this level and puts him spot on for all the major prizes between now and the end of the year. He was ridden once again by, by Mark Zara. He's quite an interesting horse, this Mark. Of course, he's a cup winner already, but he's got something of the unusual about him, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Like you say, it's hard to believe he's only won three races in his life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's a bit of a, I don't know, he's a bit of a enigma of the horse, but uh, it, was, it was good to see him, um, you know, come back like that. Like, his first up run was, was good, but in lesser company, but, uh, you know, his autumn was just okay. So to see him come back against that field and do what he did was um, pretty exciting. I was really struck by something you said about him. That You, you said you, you can't just sort of, sit and, and nurse him you really have to you know wrap yourself around him and say go on get on with this he's a the horse who takes a bit of knowing and a bit of motivation yeah that's right well I've, having ridden him quite a few times now early before i knew him well when he first came over from um, france he seemed to he, he, he you know he run race a bit closer in the in the run but then he, he'd travel up and you'd think you got plenty there and you, you know you'd kid you'd kid and then then he'd only find half a length and he was sort of only just, you know, running placings, getting not beat far. And then I decided to change tack with him. Uh, well, probably was in the Melbourne Cup, but I just said to Kieran, you know, I said, I, uh, the Corville Cup, sorry, it was. I said, I, I want to ride him just cold where, where, where he wants to be. But when I go for him, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to give him the chance to think about it. I'm, I'm going to really go for him. And, um, you know, be, being a, a, a stallion, he's sort of, or a bull. <laughs> they do have a bit of a think about it and they look after himself so I've found the best way to, to approach it is when you go you re- don't give him a second chance you know like really give it to him and uh, and then before he knows it he's in, he's in front and he, he can't do anything about it and I guess I guess when push comes to shove and you say he's an entire so you've got that little bit more of a challenge but he, he was fourth in an arc the horse has got class and you can never take that class away from him <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, we've always said that. Uh, he definitely has got the ability. He's, he's raced against you know, some of the best horses in the world, but he's in France. So um, we always knew it was there. And it's more well, just taken us... Uh, oh, I didn't take us too long, I guess. It took, it took us a few runs, but uh, I think we've really worked out, you know, the best way to ride him and, you know, that, that probably worked out the best way to train him. And I think this is, this is going to be his best prep for sure. And for you, Mark, he's a horse who who's won you a he's won you a Melbourne Cup. Just so when you when you get on him, how how does that make you feel relative to relative to other horses that you ride? That that special place in in your heart. Yeah, it's definitely there's definitely something else there when when I get on him. Like, and being the first time back to Flemington on Saturday, I don't know. I, I felt really. Uh, I don't know, there was a bit of a vibe about him, you know, he was really up and about and uh, just, I took him right up the straight and uh, as I was cantering down to the, to the stalls, it was, I thought, well, you've been here before, you know what it's like to be in front coming coming down here, so I definitely get a special bit of a feeling when I'm on him, 100%. And if you, you look at the the list of horses who've won, you know, one of those marquee group ones or grade ones at 10 furlongs and the cup, 
it's not that long a list you know you've got to be versatile and, and, and special to do it does that give you heart that even with a, another huge weight that he could he could go close again yeah 100% for sure um, I mean a lot of the a lot of the cup winners some of them barely win another race I'd say a lot of them just disappear you know you don't see much of them um, so it was good that after his autumn to come back and then to win you know a, a 2000 metre race like he did um, like I said before it's pretty exciting you know I think I think he's back to his best uh, they've got him healthy his, his feet who Kieran's always well documented had trouble with uh, are in the best shape of his life so um yeah, like I know, I know he's got a big weight, but uh, he's going he's to be very competitive in it for sure. Uh, you said you were tingling the other day. Has the tingle as the tingle subsided now a little bit? <laughs> uh, yeah, it has a little bit. Has a, although the replays are being you know, you know being played on the uh, replay on the TV and uh, the radio a fair bit, so it's still still there. But um, we've got a big meeting this Saturday, so it's time to uh, forget about that and move on to the, to the next one. What have you got to look forward to this weekend? Um, so I'm riding a horse called She Light in the Caulfield Guineas, who um, ran fourth but not been very far in the Guineas Pro Ute. So that's my that's my hope for the weekend to try and uh, win another big group one. Mark, thanks so much for talking to me. Appreciate your time. Yep. No worries, Nick. No problem at all. Okay, well, it is Tuesday, which means it's the day we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. And you might remember that earlier in the year we spoke on this slot to Julian Ince from Aradulogie. Uh, on the on the Weatherby slot. We've been keeping in touch with Julian, mainly because of the exploits of a filly that he bred called Zarika. And if you've not been following the story, you should have been, because last Friday, Zarika equaled the record number of wins in a season in France. She recorded, amazingly, her 11th success. And for all that she might not go down in history as one of the great champions, she should do in her own right, because she is a remarkable mare with an iron constitution and it's a record that goes back to to 1996 as well so julian is back on the line with me now in the company of julian felipon who is the trainer uh, of zarika uh, julian ince first of all uh, you know you've been involved and bred some really good horses some stakes horses down the years but how special a place does she have in your heart well, she, she does indeed have a special place because um, uh, the, the, the record holder uh, in 1996 was a horse called Ellipse. Um, and that horse was bred by uh, uh, our friends who have unfortunately passed away, but they spent their uh, last 15 years breeding here at Logie, the Mr. and Mrs. Sandor. They bred Ellipse. Um, so actually to, to, to have uh, equaled the record and be uh, honoured to share the record with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sandor is a, is a big thing for us here at Logie. So I suppose what we need to know is what is it in the in the logis grass that produces this remarkable, redoubtable toughness in horses. <laughs> well, I wish I knew, but we've, we've been quite successful, um, and I have to say that Rio de Plata has been an amazing uh, stallion for us. Um, I mean, basically, there, there was Mr. Sandor loved the horse, Conmanain, who, who who was the breeze-up man who sold Rio de Plata to the Godolphin, um, and ourselves. We were probably the three people that absolutely supported the horse throughout uh, his uh, stud career, and we've all been, you know fantastically well rewarded um, and he does tend to produce very tough horses that just love training and keep running 
So I know you might now uh, act as a little bit of a translator for, for Julien Felipon, who's with us now, uh, Julian. Um, Julien Felipon, just tell me a little bit about what makes this filly what she is. Why is she, why is she like this? How has she managed to win 11 races? Once she got her victory behind her, she's just a filly that loves to, you know, she, she loves winning. Um, she knows she's winning. Um, it's given her a great heart. Um, and he thinks the amazing thing about her is that she can run over, he can run over any distance on any ground. And she just loves that winning, getting over that winning line in front. And is she a mare that you, you want to give a break to or do you just carry on now? Can you carry on through the winter? En fait, depuis qu'elle est arrivée à l'écurie le mois de septembre l'année dernière, elle a gagné au So the plan uh, is um, she's a filly that since she's been with Julian uh, since last year. Uh, she's won uh, every month uh, since uh, last November other than last December, but uh, she's she's won every once every month since then. Um, and the idea is that uh, she's got three races between now and the end of the year. He will try to break the record. Um, and if she does that, then once she's broken the record, uh, if she can do that, then she'll get a little break. I'm fascinated to know from, from you, Julien, what you thought of her when you first got her. Did you think she was, A, any good, B, that she would, would win races? In fact, she was uh, his associate uh, owner, Jean-Pierre Niro, that uh, saw her uh, come fourth out of six in a little claiming race in a small track in, 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 in France um, and phoned him to uh, try and buy uh, the mayor, the filly together. And uh, Julian has said, basically, you know, I don't want anything to do with this old filly. Um, uh, you know, she, she, she hasn't got the performance that I, I want. And then afterwards, he reflected and he always he said that, uh, you know, you should never disappoint an owner. If an owner wants to buy a horse, then, you know, you should let the owner buy it. And he decided to actually buy the filly um, after after the race uh, with Jean-Pierre. And when she got to, the, got to his stable, she was... Obviously, you know, she was an old filly, she was a bit rusty and she absolutely showed nothing in the morning to, to, to give her an idea that she was going to be as good as she turned out to be. And, and Julian Ince, do you still have members of this of this family? Have you got more um, 11 times in a season winners on the on the conveyor belt, do you think? <laughs> uh, hopefully we have, but not with the same air, unfortunately. Uh, no, the, the, the mayor has, has, has long since departed, uh, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully we've got some others up, uh, up our sleeve. And just give me an indication as to as to how this has captured the imagination in in France, because you know, I think I think particularly in in the UK we don't realise how much racing there is, and you know just how big the country is, and just how much it reaches into every part of it. Has it has it gained traction in kind of metropolitan areas, if you like? Well, I mean, the thing about France is, you know, the fantastic about it is, as you say, there's so many racetracks, so much racing, so much opportunity. I mean, if you just looked at this filly by herself, you know, she's won 77 times, she's won 20, she's been placed 35 times, she's got 330,000 up in prize money, and, and as the breeder, uh, I've come out with 40,000, you know, so everything about French racing is about... It's about, you know, the local towns have racetracks. They have race meetings for two or three days a year. That's it. But it's all about uh, getting racing into the small communities. We have nearly 200 racetracks in France alone. You know, it's, it's a fantastic place. And perhaps I should leave, leave the last word to, to, to Julien to, to tell me exactly the kind of impact that she's left on, on you this season and, and how much you've, you've enjoyed this ride. Maybe I, I'll give you the last word. 
bah déjà, ce que je, que je pense, c'est que le programme, je crois que c'est ce que tu as essayé de dire euh, avant, mais le programme. En fait, c'est que Julie Messiah, as regards France, he decided that he studied the, his, you know, his stable as such, that he has. Um, he has over 15 horses and they've won around 650,000 this year. Um, and he said that the thing that people don't understand is what an incredible place France is with opportunities to run horses. There's so much racing here and so much prize money on offer. It's incredible. He said that if he took the equivalent, uh, equivalent horses and put them in England today, he studied it and he said they would have won 150,000 compared to 650,000 here in France. That's, that's going on from the, from the French racing side. But with regards to Philly, he just said, you know, he's got a whole team, they love it a bit, they, you know, they look after her, they try to understand her, um, and he said the rare thing about her is that she, you know, she's a filly that just seems to go above her quality, and just, she's all about heart, and, and wants to win, um, and this is for him, that she's a fantastic filly, and all his team love it a bit. Uh, Julian, Julian, um, congratulations, uh, thank you so much for, for talking to me, and long may the story continue. Thank you very much, sir. Now, because we are obeying, strictly obeying, uh, the BHA embargo on the fixture list, and I'm sure none of you have seen the fixture list anywhere on social media in the last 24 hours, <laughs> this, is, this is coming out. I mean, it's impossible now, isn't it? This is going to be, by the way, this is going to be embargo week. I'm just telling you now. It's embargo. Uh, really, more, more, more coming this week. Oh, I know what you're referring to. Yes, indeed. There will be. There will be something coming this week yes we've got embargoes up the yin yang this week so stand by this could be this there could be irregular podcasts this week um but here we go <laughs> you like to be regular as well so yeah the problem is the problem is if you i find if you're flying around a lot and you're doing a lot of night flights you know it can it can lead to it can affect your regularity it can affect your regularity yeah. um right <laughs> onwards let's move on swiftly um where was i a, a tip <laughs> regularity oh no uh we were at the 540 at, at less this is my point yeah so we needed a tip that you'd actually be able to listen and then watch rather than yes. sort of dorothy paget style you know back exactly. after the event yeah I've gone for the last race of eight at Leicester today. So the 5.40 at Leicester uh, today, uh, Tuesday, and that is on Mick Stream, who has been probably out of sorts for a while, um, certainly not up to the form that he showed at Brighton in the early part of the season. He showed promise back at Brighton, but for new trainer Deborah Faulkner last time. He got a £2 rise for that back to form a performance but i think he is capable of better so he's got also uh billy lockdown on today i think that conditions are, are going to suit him it's mixed dream in the 540 at leicester today all right lydia thanks so much thank you very much for listening that was tuesday october the 10th bring on the brave new world we'll see you again tomorrow Bye bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.